This episode of DDX was produced in partnership with the American Society for Bone and Mineral Research and sponsored by Inazime Pharma. A toddler is taken to his pediatrician because he's small for his age. His parents are concerned he's not growing at the rate he should. And although this child was born healthy and doesn't have any known medical conditions, something is happening in secret, inside this little boy's DNA. A disease is starting to express itself in ways which will shape his life. And if it's not discovered in time, it could become deadly. This is DDX, a podcast from Figure One about how doctors think. I'm Dr. Raj Bardwaj. This season is all about rare bone diseases. Today, a case from Dr. Michael Levine, a pediatric endocrinologist at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. During this first visit to the pediatrician, the boy's condition didn't raise any alarms. His pediatrician identified knocked knees. Although vitamin D deficiency is to blame for many bone growth issues, this didn't seem to be the case with our patient. At that time, he had a rather normal diet, was taking multivites, so his intake of vitamin D was at the recommended daily allowance. And because he had no other medical disorders and no other conditions that were of concern, his pediatrician decided that they would just watch him to see whether he could outgrow his knock knees, and whether this might improve his overall growth. But this wasn't something that would simply resolve with time. Over the next several years, he continued to grow poorly. And at age seven years, he was referred to a pediatric endocrinologist for an evaluation. The pediatric endocrinologist looked at the child's growth chart. The child was growing poorly around the third percentile with parents whose heights would have predicted him to be growing closer to the 50th percentile. The specialist reviewed his medical history and found nothing of note. The patient's bone age was assessed, and it was consistent with his chronological age. A complete growth evaluation was performed. X-rays of his knees showed them to be enlarged, and there were no particular features that struck any bells for rickets. Thyroid function tests were normal. IGF-1, a marker of growth hormone action, was also normal. There was no evidence of celiac disease, no evidence of renal or liver disease. And the child's physical exam, with the exception of short stature and the knock knees, was otherwise normal. And at that point, the decision was made to continue to observe the child. At age 10, our patient's physical growth was still slow. He was referred to an orthopedic surgeon for evaluation of his knock knees. At that time, the boy underwent a series of x-rays to diagnose any bone abnormalities. The surgeon suspected skeletal dysplasia, a blanket term for genetic conditions which affect bone, joints, and cartilage health, or a metabolic bone disease, which is another broad term relating to abnormal bone chemistry. Surgery was performed to correct the patient's knock knees. The child was referred to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia Department of Genetics and Pediatric Endocrinology. Two years later, he was in the care of Dr. Levine. When we first saw him, we were impressed by his prior history of knock knees, which had its onset in his toddler years. 
And we look carefully at the evaluation that his pediatric endocrinologist had performed some years prior that disclosed normal levels of serum calcium, normal levels of PTH, normal alkaline phosphatase, and a normal serum 25-hydroxyvitamin D, which in the mind of the first pediatric endocrinologist had effectively ruled out rickets or osteomalacia. And looking at these labs, one would agree that there's no evidence biochemically for calciopenic or vitamin D deficiency rickets. But there was one test that wasn't done, which would turn out to be the key to this boy's diagnosis. What was missing from the evaluation was a serum phosphorus level. But it turns out that in metabolic bone disease, it's a critically important test for us to evaluate. So when somebody evaluates a child for a metabolic bone disease, such as rickets in an adult osteomalacia, they need to know not only the serum calcium and the serum alkaline phosphatase, but they need to know the serum phosphorus level. So we always order that, and it turns out to be a separate order, which clearly makes it a little bit more complicated than checking a single box for a comprehensive metabolic profile, but it's critically important in the evaluation of metabolic bone disease. In fact, we call it the holy trinity of metabolic bone disease, calcium, alkaline phosphatase, and phosphate. It's what's needed to make a proper diagnosis. And if you know the calcium, the phosphorus, and the alkaline phosphatase, you can diagnose 80 to 90% of metabolic bone conditions without then requiring additional laboratory testing. Dr. Levine and his team repeated the labs and added serum phosphorus. The child had hypophosphatemia and At this point, the alkaline phosphatase was clearly elevated, and within the overall context of his knock-knee skeletal deformity, poor growth, and now biochemical evidence, we felt comfortable that, in fact, the child did have hypophosphatemic rickets. Hypophosphatemic rickets is a disorder caused by low levels of phosphate, a chemical crucial for bone health. It causes soft bones and a host of other health-related issues. Now that Dr. Levine had the diagnosis, he needed to drill down into possible causes. Was this boy's rickets a result of environmental or genetic issues? So with the diagnosis of hypophosphatemic rickets, we are aware that there are several different genetic as well as environmental causes. And so we did a careful analysis of his history of his diet, and there was no evidence that he was ingesting foods or medications that would reduce his ability to absorb phosphorus. But we still wanted to go the extra mile, and that is to determine the genetic basis for his hypophosphatemic rickets. Genetic testing was done. Dr. Levine was taken aback by the results. We were surprised when we saw the results, which revealed that this child carried two pathogenic mutations in the gene encoding ENPP1. 90% of kids with hypophosphatemic rickets will carry a mutation in the FEX gene on the X chromosome. But in this case, 
we had a completely different form of hypophosphatemic rickets, a condition called autosomal recessive hypophosphatemic rickets type 2 due to biallelic mutations in the ENP1 gene. Now, one would ask, what difference does this make to our management of the child? In this case, the treatment needed to be tailored to the genetic cause. This child had a mutation of his ENPP1 gene. Over 70% of cases with a mutation of that gene will develop into generalized arterial calcification of infancy, GACI. GACI is a rare genetic disease that causes calcium to build up on the walls of large and mid-sized arteries, restricting blood flow to various organs, which can result in hypertension, a stroke, or even a heart attack. We go into detail about GACI in another episode. But even though this patient had no evidence of having developed GACI so far, there was a risk that it might surface later in life. So his treatment had to take that into consideration. So in this child, we treated with slightly reduced doses of calcitriol and phosphorus, less than we use as our initial therapy in children with X-linked hypophosphatemic rickets. And we were very careful to avoid giving too much phosphorus. And over time, we saw the alkaline phosphatase level return to normal, and we saw healing of rickets on the radiographs. So we knew that we were treating the rickets. We felt comfortable that we weren't aggravating the underlying tendency to arterial calcification. So that went well. I think there are important lessons here because there are new therapeutics available and under development for these distinct causes of hypophosphatemic rickets. I'll remind everyone that the most common cause of rickets in a child is vitamin D deficiency. And this is a problem that we thought by the middle of the 20th century we had left to the history books, but it's a problem that continues to cause significant clinical problems for growing kids. And as Dr. Levine said, most cases of rickets can be easily diagnosed and treated. But not every form of rickets is vitamin D deficiency rickets. And when you have a child that doesn't respond, as you might expect, to calcium and vitamin D, you have to take that next step and begin to ask, could this be due to a genetic defect in the vitamin D system, or could it be a genetic defect in phosphate metabolism. And I think at age seven, if this child had that simple serum phosphorus level added to the battery of tests that were performed, the proper diagnosis of hypophosphatemic rickets would have been made, and then additional therapeutics could have been considered. So I think that understanding the genetics will provide the opportunity to practice precision medicine. Understanding the exact genetic pathophysiology enables us to identify the most appropriate therapy. Thanks to Dr. Levine for speaking with us. This is DDX, a podcast by Figure One. Figure One is an app that lets doctors share clinical images and knowledge about difficult-to-diagnose cases. I'm Dr. Raj Bardwaj 
host and story editor of DDX. You can follow me on Twitter at RajBardwajMD. Head over to figureone.com slash DDX, where you can find full show notes, photos, and speaker bios. This episode of DDX was produced in partnership with the American Society for Bone and Mineral Research and sponsored by Inazyme Pharma. For more information on hypophosphatemic rickets, please visit inazymepharma.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.